The most heart-centered chemotherapy extract that we have is made from the hawthorn shrub. This highly effective extract works on both the emotional, spiritual, and the physical heart. Perhaps we can find some uses today in our world to get this GEMO out to all of humanity and help bring heart-centeredness to all who need it. I'm Lauren Hubelay. I'm a health coach and I'm a gemotherapy extract, extract expert. And I'm here with two amazing women. Um, my co-host includes the herbalist, Terry Brooks. Hi, Terry. Hi, Lauren. Good morning, Megan. I'm happy to be here with you and just want to note that this is one of my favorite, favorite trees. I love it. And just keep that word love in mind because we will come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And the only practitioner I know who is as geeky as I am um, and can get into this topic and not stop is Megan Limp, acupuncturist. Hi, Megan. Good to have you with me. That is right. I am a geek both about Asian medicine and gemotherapy, two of my passions. My name is Megan and I practice Japanese acupuncture and gemotherapy. And I'm happy to be here with you all today. Beautiful. So, Terry. We're gonna turn the floor over to you to tell us about this um, shrub you love. Can you tell us just about the shrub itself first? Sure, this is, uh, the genus is Critagus, and there are many species. Some say hundreds, some say a thousand. It is very prolific in its cross-pollination. And in general, a lot of herbalists do not even try to identify the species type anymore. They, they've just kind of given up. We know it's a hawthorn by the way it grows. Okay. It has a big presence in um, Celtic, Irish, Great Britain, mythology, history, lore, as well as all over the world. Uh, it has been called the May tree, the fairy tree, the queen of Beltane, the white goddess. You go, it goes on and on. This tree corresponds with the sixth consonant in the secret Oam Celtic alphabet. And it's uh, aligned with a calendar month that goes from May 13th to June 9th. It's a craggy, I call it a craggy twisted tree. It, in my area, anyhow, it can grow quite large in some places, but generally 15 to 50 feet tall, mostly on the shorter end. It has gray bark with shallow longitudinal fissures and the leaves are growing spirally around the stem. I don't know if you can see this, can you see this? I should have a white background. No, we can see this quite well. There is a leaf here, but most of them have fallen off. But the thorns are remarkable, and they are also twisted and situated sort of randomly around the stem. Uh, those thorns can be one to four inches long, and they are quite sharp. <laughs> and I have read that there are some indications that there are um, various bacteria that can be quite dangerous if it punctures the skin. I have not had any experience with that, but I've been lucky, I think. It has brilliant white five-petaled flowers, and they are brilliant. And the stamens are usually a bright pink, so they really stand out. Oftentimes, I don't know where this plant is until I catch it in bloom. Or at the end of the season, when many leaves have fallen off trees around it, and then you will see the red berries. So I usually am going out in May to see, okay, where, where's the hawthorn? Where's the hawthorn blooming? 
on the back of each flower, there are five green sepals in the shape of a star. And that is said to have some religious connotation in some, some cultures. At the peak of flowering, there's often a heavy musky smell. And some compare it to the smell of sex and some compare it to the smell of death. So that plays into a lot of the mythology along with this plant. The fruits are very similar to rose hips because this is a plant in the same family as roses, raspberries, apples, and so on. They're a deep red in the, in the fall and usually rather small and mealy in my area, though I've heard they can get as large as crab apples, some of the species. They have a one to five very hard seeds inside. The term for them are pyrenes. This plant provides a lot of cover and sustenance for many, many animals, birds, and insects. Beautiful. It's quite a shelter. And, yes, it is. And, yeah. and larger animals can't get in with those thorns protecting them. Exactly. So what about folklore and historical uses? What have you discovered? Well, there's, there's parts of Britain that are still very entrenched <laughs> in spiritual, mystical beliefs about this plant. It's thought to be the gateway to the other world, a tree of enchantment under protection of the fairies. If you sit under a tree at Beltane, that's in spring, you are likely to be whisked underground to the fairy world. And fairies are not what we think of like Tinkerbell. Fairies in this kind of culture are rather rude, um, tricksters, sometimes very mean, in fact, causing problems. Even today, there's still the belief in Ireland that if you fell a hawthorn tree, there will be very bad luck upon you. They, uh, even when constructing roads, there's often disagreements about, between engineers and planners about where to put this road, and they will route it around a hawthorn tree, especially if it's a single tree, because those are said to have even more magic. No one's willing to cut them down. They say that the DeLorean Car Company was building a factory, uh, I believe it was in the 1980s, early 80s, in Northern Ireland. And again, much disagreement whether they should actually cut this tree down. It was cut down, the factory was built, and immediately they began to have financial problems. And of course, that just plays into the myth. So uh, this tree still, it has been known to guard wells and springs, so sources of water, and still does across much of Great Britain. It's associated with the goddesses of love, sexuality, fertility, and reproduction. And throughout many cultures, you can name, name the goddesses, Flora, Olwen, Hymen, the Virgin Mary, in fact. The hawthorn tree seems to be the tree most representative of the struggles of the Christian church against the pagan beliefs and celebrations. Um, they, they often would co-opt a lot of nature practices from pagan or other re, you know, religious cultures to make them more suitable to Christian beliefs and take the power away from that pagan belief and system. Um, celebrations. So this tree, they think that this is a legend, who knows, because it's so far back in history, but it has been said that there's one, there was one single hawthorn in Glastonbury, England, and Glastonbury has a lot of myths surrounding it, both with the Christian church and with King Arthur and Merlin and Guinevere and all of that. This tree was... Um, Again, co-opted, they said it was grown there because Joseph of Arimathea 
who was carrying Christ's body, made his way to England, and when he struck his, his thorn rod in the ground, a tree immediately sprouted and began to bloom. It also blooms at the usual time in spring, and they say it still does. Now, um, Oliver Cromwell, throughout history, he and his Puritan gang, I can call them that now, nobody's gonna get me for that, but <laughs> they, they also thought, even though they had co-opted this and put this very nice Christian story around it, he still felt it was a danger to his belief system, and he had it cut down again. But he had no idea that that tree was so important to the local culture that many hundreds of shoots and many, many pieces of it had already been cultured and planted elsewhere. So they believe there's still a piece of that original tree growing in England. Um, deeply entwined in, in the politics, the religion, the agriculture and literature of Europe and thousands of years of Chinese culture as well. It's been a source of wealth and inspiration, but also the cause of a lot of misery. There were actual laws passed in countries about enclosure. They call them the enclosure laws. Um, this plant was grown as a hedge to prevent animals from getting into food crops or leaving the boundaries of a person's land but also it was grown as a hedge to prevent commoners getting into the lands of the landed gentry. And this played a big role in the potato famine in Ireland, whereas when the, when the potatoes were so diseased that they were not able to eat, um, people would have foraged the hedgerows and got berries and nuts and so on. And the laws then prohibited them from doing that because the gentry had and there are, there are um, some beliefs that this was actually a form of class warfare, that this was done on purpose to decrease the population, that there were far too many of those people that were hangers on and not contributing. So that was interesting. Um, I mentioned that this was called the Mayflower tree, and they believe that many ships named Mayflower often had a picture of this flower carved on their, on the, stern of the boat. I thought it was interesting to note, I read a really great book, which I'll recommend at the end. Um, in World War II, our armies had a very difficult time in areas such as Normandy because there were so many hedgerows planted thousands of years ago that were not taken into account when we invaded. And as a result, our troops would be trying to crash through these impenetrable impenetrable barriers, some of which were also blackthorn. And once they got through, then they were confined in a box sort of situation. So the Germans could use that to their benefit. These hedges were also planted all over the world. Um, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were famous for trying to build up these hedges. They didn't always succeed with this particular plant, but they wanted also to keep their their sheep, their cattle from ruining their crop fields. And Native Americans, of course, have used it for leaves, berries, every part of the plant for food and medicine. They also used for fish hooks, voodoo dolls, sewing awls, hunting bows, fasteners. You can probably see some of those Vikings with these big long thorns. Right. Um, closing their garments, for example. Wow. Wow, Terry. 
That's a wealth of information. Amazing. So what about the medicinal qualities of this shrub? We know through historical records that at least since the first century in Greek medicine, Hawthorne has been used for a heart tonic. Also in Chinese history, Native American, European, Ayurvedic, it goes on and on. It's been the subject of hundreds of studies which have shown it increases exercise tolerance. It strengthens the heart muscle, supports a normal rhythm of the heart. It supports coronary blood flow. It normalizes blood pressure. It decreases blood lipids, and it specifically targets the flow of the left ascending coronary artery, which is often where you're going to end up having some difficulties and may probably a surgery. It's also seen as energy medicine for the heart through many, many cultures. This supports the power of love, the love which lifts grief and heals heartache. Thus, it supports the nervous system. These thorns are a reminder to be awake and to be attentive, to hold your own healthy boundaries and space while you keep your heart open. I, um, I use a lot of this plant. Aside from making my own gemotherapy from it, I make it into tinctures and teas and cordials, and it has been of great benefit, both the gemotherapy and the herbal products. Beautiful. Terry, thank you for sharing all that with us. So when we look at Hawthorne as a gemotherapy extract, we need to keep in mind the difference between the use of it as an extract, particularly it's a good time to remind you we have so many of these trees and shrubs that have been used throughout history as an extract part of that plant, but when we're using the buds and we're using the meristem cells and all the growth material, we get an entirely different action and we get all the benefits that the plant has to offer. And so when we think of Hawthorne gemotherapy, we realize that its primary action is as a harmonizer for the heart. It's a harmonizer for the heart, the circulatory system, and in that, it normalizes blood pressure and heart rhythm. Hawthorne gemotherapy actually takes care of and is effective at harmonizing four out of five of the heart's functions. It, it improves two, and then it reduces two. So the two it improves are the contraction of the heart, making it more effective and then the conduction speed of the heart. So those are both improved by the use of Hawthorne. It, on the other hand, reduces the rate of electrical impulses to the heart, as well as the rate of contraction. Mm. So we get this very strong harmonizing effect, bringing things into balance with the heart. The secondary effect, however, for Hawthorne is a harmonizer for all actions of the sympathetic nervous system. So it helps them be effective, but rather than being a tonic, it harmonizes them and helps either speed up or slow down whatever is needed in that particular individual. Um, Hawthorne also has been found to inhibit the enzyme that breaks down and um, destroys dopamine. 
And so it is very helpful in protecting dopamine levels in individuals. When we're, we're putting it into practice, those that should consider Hawthorne would be adult male or female. We don't tend to use this for children and we don't have a lot of research regarding that. So when I'm saying adult, I would say teen and above. We, um, anyone with heart-related symptoms, anyone with autonomic nervous system related, symptoms related to the heart, so like racing heart, anxious heart, um, that pain in your heart from heartache, and it becomes a real physical pain. Hawthorne can soften that. And then those with um, specific anxiety that arises between 7 to 9 p.m., I found Hawthorne in microdoses to be a beautiful um, resolution to that. In, in microdoses as well, it harmonizes the autonomic nervous system, particularly at resolving anxious palpitations, symptoms of grief, and improving sleep. And really one drop of Hawthorne in these cases can be next to miraculous. In chronic cases, it, it is so effective in working with the heart. We need to bear caution if anyone is on heart medications. So be, this is, is um, something that we're, where a physician who is prescribing those medications would need to be aware. And that person is monitored in, in conjunction with taking the medications because often the medications are no longer necessary. It's helpful in cases of hypertension, mild arrhythmia, physical responses to anxiety and panic, stress from excessive physical exercises, and thyroid-induced symptoms involving the heart. So that's quite a bit that that extract takes care of, all involving the heart and the nervous system. So Megan, how does this look through the Asian medicine lens to you? Yes, uh, there's quite a bit of overlap and quite a bit of difference. I think that Hawthorne as the heart, both organ and energetic opener and softener is just exactly how I see this. It's important though that we differentiate the way that Western allopathic medicine and Chinese medicine each look at the heart. It's, it's, there's some overlap, but it's quite a different understanding. Modern Western medicine focuses on the anatomical structure of the heart and then the mechanics of that organ. And traditional Chinese or Japanese medicine has references in their literature and the early classics to the heart as early as two or 300 BC. But the focus is quite different. The focus is really on the function, the functions of governing blood and the vessels. And there's always a component of the emotions and the housing of the mind also. In Asian medicine, the housing of the mind is called the Shen, and we'll visit that a little bit later. The heart is considered the emperor. It's the emperor of all the organs in the body, including the brain. Remember that health from an Asian medical standpoint is considered a state of balance, where all of the energetic and organ systems are working together and supporting each other, this is a close reference to what Lauren was talking about as a harmonizer. And in this context, they're all helping heart balance and perform its function properly. 
interesting, the path that the heart meridian, so the energetic pathway of what we call the heart meridian in Asian medicine, corresponds really closely to areas where pain often occurs in cases of angina and myocardial infarction. Mm -hmm. So from an Asian medicine lens, let's look at blood, the function of blood. Blood has to be both produced properly and then it has to circulate properly. And there's two sources of blood from an Asian medical standpoint. One source of everything always comes from the paper. We know that that's our main source of producing everything. So we have what we call our prenatal chi, which is from the kidney. This is the essence that we're born with, our most ancestral energy, and it's stored in the kidneys. Now, from an Asian medical lens, kidney supports and produces marrow. And marrow, we know, produces blood. But the other source of blood is called uh, our postnatal chi production blood, and that is the blood that we create. It's the chi that we create from our food and fluid and breath. It's the chi that we're constantly reproducing all of the time. And this involves the digestion. Uh, after the digestive process of breaking down and extracting the nutrients from our food and fluids, uh, it's then carried up to the lungs. And it's carried up to the lungs to produce chi. And it's carried up to the heart to produce blood. The heart then circulates this blood through the body. But this shows us the direct connection energetically between the health of our digestion and the health of our heart function. If we look at the actual concept of blood, those are also a little bit different in Asian and Western medicine. Western medicine focuses more on the substance of the blood. And again, Asian, medical, Asian medicine focuses more on the function of the blood. Blood's job in Asian medicine is to nourish the body to provide nutrients to the organs and keep the body moist, both internally to the organs and externally to the skin, to the soft tissues, to the bones, to the muscles, and to the sinews. It also aids the mind and our mental activity and houses what we call shen, which can be translated as our presence or our spirit. Remember that blood is viewed as a more dense form of qi. And qi's nature is smooth movement. Problems arise then when qi and blood and fluids in the body are either aren't abundant or aren't flowing smooth. This is where we can look at the liver and liver's role in supporting heart function. Again, there's some overlap with the organ, but we are talking about the energetics of what we call liver in Asian medicine. And the function of liver is to control smooth movement. It spreads. It controls the movement of chi and blood and fluids and emotions in a smooth way. The nature of liver energy, again, is to spread. And there's a saying that if liver is flowing, the blood vessels will remain open and unobstructed. So when liver smooth flow is interrupted, we see a pattern that's very common in our culture. And in Chinese and Japanese medicine, we call this liver chi stagnation. It's a feeling of being stuck or blocked we just can't go with the flow. And typically words like anger and frustration or mild depression are described when we use the term liver chi stagnation. And again, this gives us a pretty clear picture of how stress affects the movement, not just of emotions, but also of chi and fluids, and therefore how stress affects the heart function. 
Lastly, we know that heart houses the emotion and minds. Its function is to govern blood, to govern the vessels, and the brain. So heart houses Shen. What is Shen? Shen is translated as spirit or mind, but it really implies our consciousness or our mental functions, our mental health, or what we might call being present. And Shen lives in the heart. But interestingly, specifically, uh, Shen is said to live in the blood vessels and it's nourished by the blood. So we can see how if things are moving and abundant and smooth, our mind and our mental health feels smooth also. The state of the Shen is said to be visible in the eyes and the eyes will look bright and vibrant and full of vitality when Shen is healthy. And when Shen is disturbed, there's a dullness to the eyes, a look as if almost nobody's home. And I think we can all relate to having seen this sometimes in long-term emotional problems with people or after shock or trauma. And I have used this extract actually quite effectively uh, for people recovering from shock, new or old trauma, um, people that need a softening or a heart opening or a way to connect with themselves again. Beautiful. Wow. You know, Megan, I've never used it in, in the state of, of shock that way. That's a beautiful way to do that and to help keep someone open as they're processing those emotions. Yeah. Beautiful. Wonderful. Ladies, thank you. Um, if you're looking to find out more about gemotherapy, um, please take a look at my website, laurenhubelay.com, where you'll find some blogs, um, access to my books, and classes. Um, so I hope to see you in a class someday. And Megan, what can some, where can someone go to learn more about Asian medicine? Yeah, there's a great, very readable book called The Web That Has No Lever. And if you're interested in finding out about my practice or uh, Asian medicine or general therapy from an Asian lens, feel free to visit my website at accuremp.com. Beautiful. And Terry? Well, I have a great book to recommend. This is called Hawthorne, The Tree That Has Nourished, Healed, and Inspired Through the Ages by Bill Vaughn. It is a phenomenal look at in-depth about this plant and how much it has, it has added to our history, our myth, our culture all around the world and our health, of course. Beautiful. What a wonderful recommendation. Thank you. Ladies, thanks so much for your time and all your wisdom that you shared today. Thank you.